Hi, this is Pastor Curtis Crawford welcoming you to our podcast. At Revive Outreach Church, we're striving to revive an awareness of Christ in our communities through Christ-centered compassion, service, and evangelism. You can learn more about us online at www.reviveoc.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash church. We hope that you enjoy this message and God bless. Today we're going to go through the Lord's Prayer, teaching us how to pray. Starting in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. Let's approach the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all your blessings. Thank you for the people who come here to hear your word preached. Lord, I just ask that you would help me to preach with humility. That I don't preach in my own strength. That I do not teach my own wisdom. That I am nothing but a broken man preaching to broken men. And God, that this message will be focused on you and our relationship with you and it would glorify you and draw us towards you and your word in conformity with your son Jesus Christ so God I ask that as we approach you and we study your word you would enlighten us and draw us towards you in Jesus name Amen the first verse is full of good practice and example it's rich because any means, any man seeking to approach God in prayer, it demonstrates how we ought to approach God. Let's start out and break down the first verse. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. This happens when Jesus has finished praying. Jesus' prayer, it must have been something as we are not told where he prayed, only that it was in a certain place. There are two accounts of this prayer. One is in the Gospel of Matthew, and there's no context given behind it. It simply talks about what Jesus had to say on prayer. But this gives the context of the disciples and how it came about. See, one of the disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Where he was praying wasn't important. We know that he didn't just pray in one place. Prayer wasn't just for the temple. It was everywhere. Oftentimes we believe we have to go to church to approach God. And it's an error. As we know, our Lord prayed constantly to his Father. He loved the Father at all places and times, not simply in the temple, but in the fields and hills and rooftops of buildings. Jesus was characterized by his passionate and constant appeals to the Father, God. So much so, he inspired his disciples to inquire, Lord, teach us how to pray. So it should be with the Christian. We too should feel the desire to approach God no matter where we are. Where you are does not matter. It's who you're with. And Jesus was always with his Father. Oftentimes, we allow circumstances to cloud our minds. We never realize that place is secondary to prayer. Mm -hmm. 
Jesus was at a place, but the place isn't specified. It didn't matter so much as the powerful prayers offered by the Son of God. When we approach God, we should do so regardless of place. We should make our appeals all across the world, whether urban or rural, land or sea, mountain or valley. We rest assured knowing that we may approach the throne of God in prayer, for its position is universal and set above all creation. Just as Polaris shines bright in the heavens, so God's throne of grace looms high and unmoving. We might see a constellation from anywhere on earth for direction to true north. So we might see God, the unfailing arbiter of true direction as well. That's what prayer is about, seeking God's direction. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. It is telling that of all the things the disciples asked to be taught, they requested prayer. Lord, teach us how to pray. It has such power to it. Jesus was a man of prayer. He, the Son of God, prayed often and fervently. If the Lord prayed often, if the Lord sought out time for God, how much more so does the Christian need to seek out time with the Lord? It must have been a wondrous thing to see Jesus pray. They did not request lessons on preaching or teaching. They didn't request lessons on miracles or casting out devils. They requested something altogether more powerful, direct appeal to God. Today, there is discipleship for nearly everything a man could desire in ministry. We are taught orthodoxy, proper teaching, good doctrine, orthopraxy, good practice. We have workshops that teach us how to evangelize, preach, teach, exercise the gifts of the Spirit, and seemingly everything else. Mm -hmm. Yet when the disciples asked for Jesus to teach them anything, it was first and foremost prayer. Prayer cannot be overlooked. It cannot be neglected. It is a hallmark of Christ's disciples. As John taught his disciples, just as prayer was an attribute for John's disciples who prepared the way, so was an attribute of the way, Jesus Christ. Amen. So was to be the defining practice of those who belong to Christ. For we are called Christians, little Christ, and we are to reflect his practices and love in our day-to-day lives. And you cannot, no matter how many times you workshop it, have any effective ministry without prayer. Amen. The only way to maintain good teaching is in prayer because it is the true exercise of faith. Good doctrine means nothing if it is not backed with fervent prayer, which itself teaches a man many lessons that reading and study alone will not. Amen. It is also the sum of good practice, as no matter what your works are, lacking faith and direction from God in prayer, a man will be found deficient in both faith and works. Amen. The disciples had the best teacher, the greatest preacher, the greatest healer and miracle worker, but what they knew as we should too, is that peculiar power of prayer was necessary for all these things because Christ's example made it clear to them. Note what they follow up with. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. I find it interesting that of all the times disciples asked questions and received parables, this time Jesus decided to give them plain instructions. He said it immediately. Without hesitation, prayer is a serious matter to the people of God. It is not to be questioned or battered about carelessly. Not that our Lord was ever careless, but rather he took a special care to highlight the method of prayer, that it was important and universal to all believers. Prayer was direct, simple, and true. And so our Lord's answer reflects the nature of the subject. When you pray, 
Say, Father, hallowed be thy name. What a joy. What a joy that when we pray, it's a bountiful blessing. Father, such a connotation for the Christian. Such a tremendous boon to us, the provider, the sustainer, the creator, the great lover of mankind. He loves us as he loves his own children. He is well and truly our own father. He is to be first loved and adored as a small child loves and adores their parent. It's funny, I saw my niece Ruth recently. And when she sees her dad or when she sees Poppy, because they're his, her favorites, she sees him and she goes, Daddy, Daddy, Poppy, Poppy. And she runs straight to him with everything in her. And she embraces them and gets picked up in his arms. That's the attitude the Christian should have to prayer. Yes. Amen. No matter what the circumstances, whether Ruth falls and scrapes her knees, the immediate joy of being to run to daddy for comfort. Mm -hmm. That's what the Christians feel in approaching God. Yes. If you feel shame, that's just the enemy distracting you from where yes. you need to be, which yes. is in your father's lap. Amen. Prayer is sitting in the father's lap. Wow. Prayer is sitting at the master's feet yes. and inquiring what he has to say on every matter of the heart. Amen. At the same time, Father carries all of the duties and responsibilities and reverence deserved. He's to be reverenced and respected as only a child can reverence and respect a stern but fair parent. To see in God the image of the Father, the loving, doting, disciplining powerhouse of the universal home, is to see God for what he is to his children. God's name is Father, and it carries all the connotations of fatherhood. It implies trust, reliance, relationship, and above all, deep abiding love. Yeah. Truly, we rejoice in Christ as Lord, but we should evermore rejoice in God, our Heavenly Father. Amen. Jesus is not just Domine, Lord. He's also Pater, Father. We have so much reason to rejoice because this right here, just the word Father, implies the people who are praying to God are His children. If you pray to God and you are led by him and you inquire of him, you're his child. So don't approach him with any hesitations. Don't let shame or guilt keep you from where you need to be. Amen. The second part, hallowed be your name, conveys just as much. The first tells of God's relation to us but the second tells of his position apart from us. God's name is holy. It is to be respected, admired, feared, and loved all at once. God is set apart from his creation. He is above it, and not only in the sense of his role as father, but as his position as judge, sovereign, supreme, and holy God from the beginning. God is our father. He is our origin, and it's in him we trust. But we trust him because he is holy, because he is set apart, because he is righteous, because he is powerful. God, absent of his holy name, absent of his worthiness, absent of his divine nature, is not God. Oftentimes, people invoke prayer without fully realizing exactly whom they are addressing. We're not merely talking to a friend. We're talking to the perfect friend. We're not talking to a parent, but the divine parent. We are speaking with a being whose very essence holds all the cosmos together and is himself above it. God is a father because he is holy and because he is set apart to his people as someone to be trusted, admired, worshipped, and loved. 
In other words, we have no reason to believe in the power of prayer if we don't believe in the power and holiness of God. Wow. Your kingdom come. This is a command to the self and an affirmation to God. Let his will be done. We do not approach God to demand things of him. Prayers for us to receive from God and receive joyfully. Our request should always be in this spirit, your kingdom come. It is a rare spirit today, the one that approaches God as though he were sovereign. We know God's, wi we know God's will works together for our good. So in all of our requests and petitions, we acknowledge the king's word is the law. He is our hope. Our faith is in him. His will be done regardless of our request. Prayers for our submission, God's edification, and the reshaping of the heart and the world to reflect God. When we pray, your kingdom come, it is desire that it actually does arrive. A lot of people don't pray expecting God to arrive. Wow. That's right. They pray for the worst case scenario. They pray hoping for nothing. Yep. With no trust in the name of whom they're praying. Lord, please give me that job, but we never bother to ask if we should even be there. Lord, get me a girlfriend or a partner, but we never ask if right now is the time for a relationship. Lord, put me in full-time ministry, but we never ask if maybe we're ready for ministry, and that's God's will. Perfect submission is the key to perfect prayer. Absent of the desire for God's kingdom and will, there is little else worth continuing for. When we confront God in prayer, we must conform ourselves in robes of humility fitting our status as servants and sons. Amen. Never approaching God as his master, only ever in submission as a servant. Yeah. In this, true sonship is possible, for when we conform to God's will, we conform to Christ's image and thus share in his grace. Amen. Prayer is a powerful fixture of submission in the Christian life. And it is for the ends of God, not of men, that we appeal to God and not of men. We appeal in prayer to God. Let thy will be done. Let yeah. thy kingdom come. Not yeah. let my will be done. Which is something I've had to learn the hard way in my life. I prayed so many prayers. And it was to try and strong arm God. Lord, thank you in advance. <laughs> Curious, that phrase doesn't appear in Jesus' quote. <laughs> you know? I know you can do it, Lord. Yeah, he can. But did you ask if he would? Yeah, God can do anything. But did you ask what he can do in you? He can create the world anew. But are you a new creation? Mm. Prayer doesn't exist for your will to be exerted on God. It exists for his will to be exerted onto you. Yeah. If my word abides in thee and you abide in my word, ask of me anything and it shall yeah. be given to you. Come the on. two things that we need to note is that first, when we pray, the word should abide in us. Yeah. And that Jesus abides in us. Yeah. Then we can ask anything because anything will be whatever the Father wills. Amen. Yeah, that's right. We need to be aligned. If you ask something contrary to God's character and word, don't expect him to honor it. Prayer is done like this, with folded hands. And it's to represent you being in bondage to your Lord as a servant. 
You see, in ancient Mesopotamian culture, people were always pictured like this, like a servant with their hands forward. You can't hear this on the you know, recording, but like this. You see a lot of priests pictured with one hand to the side, one hand beneath it holding, what can I do for you? But prayer is, Lord, what can I receive from thee? Mm. See, one was a yes man priest who was going to do something to please the gods. But the Christian was a submissive servant who knew he could do nothing apart from God. Yeah. Give us each day our daily bread. We trust in God. Yeah. We trust in him to provide for our needs. And we know that with submission to God, there is an assurance of our needs being met. Notice, he says each day, every day should be taken on with the power of prayer and a deep and abiding trust in God to provide for his children. Daily should we rely on him. Daily should we pursue devotion. Daily should prayer be our mission and task. Jesus did not say once a week on Sundays. He didn't even say once every other day, nor even once a day. He said daily. The same way you eat three times a day, the same time you might snack more than that, some of us, me. Uh, <coughs> you know, it's cold though. But the same way that you might go and snack and eat and use it to sustain yourself throughout the day, right? That's how you should be receiving from God. He's the bread of life. To just have a crust, you'll starve. You want the whole loaf. We should, each of us, pursue daily communion with God because it is only in communion with him that we can have the given to our truest needs met with the filling bread of life. Just as we would not only eat once a week, so we should not only pray once a week. We should seek God's provision daily as there is nothing he cannot provide for his people. Four, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Let's break that down. This is the hard part. <clears throat> and forgive us our sins. This is the hope of our prayers, that God forgives us our sins, that he bestows upon us grace and mercy sufficient for our great need. It is also a grace freely given as we bestow it in part to others. There is no use in denying it. There should be a constant desire to repent when we pray. Yes. We should lay upon the altar of God's mercy anything that separates us from him. Mm-hmm. If we have fallen short, let us consciously admit to it. Let us be full-throated with our desire to be rid of sin and to embrace forgiveness. Our Father is willing and able to save us from our sins. And prayer is the perfect time, and in fact, the only time, we might petition the great distributor of grace for our own needs. You know, in Matthew, that, that account talks about how you're not supposed to pray. I'm going to add a little bit. But basically, there is a habit of Pharisees and religious teachers praying publicly. And the prayer, if you take Jesus' examples of it, when he talks about the Pharisees, it was all about themselves and their own righteous works. Thank you, God. Thank you that I'm so great. The prayer instead should be, thank you, God, that you are so merciful and I am nothing. Yeah. I am nothing without you. My life is forfeit. When it says mercy, cling to the mercy seat, you don't understand. When someone could fall on the mercy seat, it was because they were begging for forgiveness so they wouldn't be killed. Yep, that's right. 
God reserved the right to refuse it anytime he wanted. In fact, there's a command in the Old Testament that says, do not let him seek out my mercy seat or throw himself upon it. The Christian, see, has a privilege because Jesus made the mercy seat acceptable with no exceptions. See, we could throw ourselves upon the mercy seat because Jesus didn't get that privilege. He was dragged away to a cross. Prayer is not to brag on yourself. Prayer is to honor God and submit yourself to him. If you want forgiveness, understand you need forgiveness first. What's the use in asking for forgiveness when you've done nothing wrong? That's why it's good to be poor in spirit. Call back. You know, that's why it's good to know that you're a beggar in need of God and nothing you do will ever be enough. Because when you pray, it's from your lack and God's greatness. For we, this is the hard part, for we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Ooh, Uh, that hurts right here. Because guess what? That presupposes that before you ask God to forgive you, you've already forgiven others. Lord, forgive us like we forgive others. Not, Lord, forgive me and help me to forgive others, which is what I'm often caught saying. Lord, please forgive me and then, like, help me to possibly maybe not want to strangle this person to death. I mean, I, I deserve grace, but, I mean, these, these heathens, they need Jesus, you know. You know I mean... You know, we laugh, but that's true. That's how I prayed, man, for a long time. Lord, please forgive me. But that guy who did the exact same thing I did, punish him. Yeah. That's right. Jesus. We were like that debtor who took a few pieces of silver. And even though the king forgave him, he threw another man in jail. How do you expect to be forgiven when you won't forgive others? It's like the same rule of debting. You know, judge not lest thee be judged. According to the standard you judge others, you will be judged. Well, forgive not, you won't be forgiven. You will be forgiven to the standard at which you forgive others. This is because God is not wrong. It's not wrong to want forgiveness, and it's not wrong to even make good judgments. It's wrong to be a hypocrite and do it disingenuously. Because you're calling God stupid. You're saying, Lord, you're not smart enough to see counterfeit. Saying, Lord, you know, you're even insulting the other person because you're saying, well, my repentance is genuine, but this person doesn't even deserve an opportunity at it. Wow. Yeah. Grace should come with the reminder we ourselves are to be gracious. Sin is not only something we alone deal with, it's a universal curse of mankind. And in the same sense, we should also extend grace to those around us universally. If anyone owes us for wrongs unpaid, we should be able and willing to forgive them. Whatever they might owe us, we know it compares not to the ransom owed to God. Every sin we commit has the weight of eternity and debt to death. Yet God in his grace forgives us. We too should have abundant grace to forgive others. Let us not be ignorant hypocrites, unaware of our position before God. We should consider that position long and hard before we meet our debts upon our fellow man. We are not their sovereign, but God is ours. He occupies a position much higher than we, and yet he forgives us and bestows upon us abundant and generous grace, though we are much lower than we think ourselves to be. Let us do the same, and when we pray, he will be faithful to respond to our pleas 
as we are faithful to respond to others, please. Lead us not into temptation. There's been a little controversy over this verse because they say that it implies God may lead some into temptation. Be comforted because God tempts no one. Rather, this verse is an appeal for God to lead us away from our natural course. We are all faced with insurmountable odds. Men are tempted and the natural state is to give in. We are sinful and our wills are powerless. We are sheep walking into the brambles of the world. We are utterly aimless and so we fall short. Our judgment is insufficient to keep our course steady. As a result, we appeal to the good shepherd. See, the reason it's saying, Lord, lead us not to temptation is because temptation is the standard for humankind. Right. Sin is normal right. for us. Guidance from a good shepherd, that's not normal. Sheep out in the wild will get picked off and destroyed. Sheep with a shepherd can survive from generation to generation yes, in the master's right. house. This isn't saying, Lord, help me to have good judgment on my own. It's saying, Lord, I trust your judgment better than mine. Amen. Lord, it began, the prayer ends the same way as it began. Lord, Lord, let thy will be done, not my will. Right. Lord, I know my will is not sufficient. It's a tacit admission that man and his will is corrupt and incapable of choosing God. Therefore, he needs a strong shepherd to guide him on the right path. That's why Jesus is the way. He's not a way you might take, get to the same spot. He's the way. He's not a truth. He's the truth. I was talking with a Buddhist at work the other day named uh, Nikki. Really great guy. Really great guy. And um, he was talking about, yeah, no, the thing about Buddha is when he died, he said, you know, I don't have the truth, you know, but the truth, you know, enlightenment is out there. If you don't agree with something I say, go and seek it. And I said, well, that right there is the difference between Buddha and Jesus. Buddha just pointed you to Jesus because he said, I am the truth. I do have it. Here's the real deal. Right. <laughs> you know, a lot of people want to take the Buddhist path because it means they don't actually have to choose any path. Yeah. But Jesus, his path is narrow. Yeah. You know, prayer understands fundamentally that the narrow way on our own skill, we can't balance that. I'm going to fall off. I don't have great coordination. I'm not so wise and smart. Nothing I say is of me. If anything, it's something God revealed by grace. I can't even be sure if I'll live tomorrow. How can I guide myself to a better future? Sheep can't even smell water. They need to be guided to it by a human. You know, a sheep, to make it dependent, God will break its leg and put him over the shoulder. When we say, lead us not into temptation, Lord, we're saying, Lord, if you have to break my leg so I don't walk off a cliff, please do it. Wow. Wow. Lord, if you have to take your cane, drag me by the neck to do your will, please do it. Yeah. Lord, if you have to put me in a situation where I have to reject something I love, please do it. Mm. Lord, if you have to break up a relationship that's toxic for me, please do it. Amen. Lord, if I have to be thrown in prison and persecuted on your path, please do it so that I'm because I would rather be in a temporary prison of man than the eternal separation of God. Amen. So, Lord, please lead us out of temptation. The desire to honor God, to submit to his authority, to have him lead us where he will, 
and provide for our needs and keep us from the dangers to our souls. Prayer's power ultimately is in the submission to God and the acknowledgement of his person, the reliance on his grace and the trust in his will and coming kingdom. Prayer is an audience for the believer to receive from God and not to dictate from him. The sheep doesn't choose the pasture, the shepherd does. The sheep doesn't fight the wolves, the shepherd does. Amen. The sheep doesn't overcome the world, the shepherd's already overcome the world. Yeah, right. And as a Christian, all our job is, is to hear, heed the shepherd's voice. That's grace, to recognize the shepherd. To not be preyed on by our enemies. Yeah. To not go hungry as we seek our daily bread. To not... <clears throat> Excuse us. To be, not live in ignorance and be hypocrites. To forgive our enemies and then be forgiven ourselves. None of this is of yourself. It's all of God. It's all of his grace. Mm-hmm. So prayer is important to the Christian's life because prayer is the reality of what a Christian is. A man solely and completely dependent on God's grace. A man unworthy. A broken man. Who served a mighty Lord, a lost sheep without a shepherd. And even though some of us might be afraid to approach the Lord in prayer, this is the one lesson Jesus sought to teach up front with no parables, no interpretation. This is something every Christian needs. This is something all of us did It was preserved in two books of the Bible, two accounts. Prayer was so important that Jesus did it all the time, and he was the son of God. Prayer is so important to us. Jesus lived in perfect submission to the Father. How much more so should we who don't live in perfect submission do it? As we leave, I just ask that each of you would consider, as we pray, if you've been living in submission to him, if you've rightfully received the title Christian and what that means, will you be like Christ and find a certain place to pray? Not a specific place, a certain place, a place of certainty, a place where you can confront the Lord and lead others to him. A place where you can take your appeals directly to God, a place where you can receive grace abundant when you are insufficient. That's the lesson of these verses. Let's approach the Lord in prayer. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you enjoyed it and were blessed by it. Each month we have people from all over the world who listen to the messages made available. If you've been blessed by this ministry, would you consider making a donation of any amount to help support us as we continue to reach a loss for Christ? Donations can be made online at www.reviveoc.org or by check at Revive Outreach Church, 411 Chatham Heights Road, Suite 101, Fredericksburg, Virginia, 22405. Thank you for your prayers and your continued support. May God richly bless you.